Amen and amen. How many of you are thankful for our praise team this evening? Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? <clears throat> and uh, not only them, they do such a wonderful job. They're so gifted and at the same time thankful for our media team. You know, I was looking back through the, some of the comments. I like to do that in the afternoon as I pray over the comments that are on the online worship. And it amazes me always how many people are engaged in worship online while we're in this room. And uh, um, so many of those comments said thank you to the media team and thank you for those who are running cameras. And, you know, they just, they just really are thankful because they're not able to, for whatever reason, some of them are shut in. Some of them just physically aren't able to get out of their homes. And because of your service and your ministry, um, they are able to participate in worship with us and hear the word of God. So I want to just say thank you to the praise and thank you to the media team. Thank you for those in the production room and those in the media back in the back. Uh, serving God so faithfully and wonderfully. And God's using you to get the gospel out uh, among the nations. So I thank God for you. Amen. Yes. So if you have your Bible tonight, we're going to continue where we left off this morning. That be all right with you guys? All right. Here we go. Joshua chapter 6, if you will. Joshua 6. Now. Um, as your couple of things we're going to do, housekeeping-wise, if you will, as we get started. First of all, um, I'm going to ask you to uh, engage in worship through your social media for just a minute, all right? Uh, maybe something different. You may be our guest, and you've never heard or seen of that. But what we've learned is through the COVID season that God can use you from your chair right there where you are. You don't have to get up. You don't have to go to the door. You can lock in. But God can use you from your chair to reach people all over the world. And so if you would do something for me, I'm asking you to get out your phone and get on social media. The preacher asked us first thing to get on social media. And first of all, I want you to turn the volume off on the side so we don't get interrupted by the duck calls and the turkey call and all that. And then, if you will, also turn the volume down with the down arrow. That'll help whenever you go on social media. You want to hear my voice booming on there. Turn that volume down. And then I'm asking you right now as an act of worship to pray this prayer. God, would you put this message in front of who needs to get it? And then as you share, just leave it in God's hands and trust that he'll put it right in front of. And he'll do it. He does it every single time we gather. So trust that he'll put it in front of who needs to see it. And by the way, nobody can reach somebody like you, like you. <clears throat> and you have friends on social media that I don't. They have friends of friends. And so I pray you take advantage of that. All right, as we dive in tonight, Joshua chapter 6, the title of our message is The Key to Rescue. Now, let me just, I want to say this to you because I'm changing the title right now. That'd be all right as we get started. Uh, the, the title was uh, The Key to Rescue. But as I typed that in and, and this afternoon as I was finishing that up and looking back through, when I sent that, somehow it got changed to The Key to God Rescue. So we're going to go with that, all right? Don't know how that happened, um, but I love it, all right? So would you just write in your notes there, the title of our message tonight is The Key to God Rescue, because there is a difference. As I looked at that, I thought there's a, there's a big difference between rescue and God rescue, and I've been rescued a couple of different ways over my journey in life, but none have rescued me like God has rescued me. And so tonight, we're going to dive into that message, and I pray that you leave out of here encouraged and hopeful. If you came in uh, tonight separated from God, my prayer is that you leave as a child of God, forgiven and drawn near. Uh, if you've been distant with God, my prayer is that you would draw close to him and you'd leave here closer than you were when you got here. And that that wouldn't just end tonight, but that it would be your story from this day forward. Uh, that the authentic relationship would be lived out between you and him for the rest of your days. Can I tell you, there's no better way to live this journey. Amen. So I encourage you to do that. Now, we're going to be all over the map <clears throat> this evening. Can you believe that? 
And I know that's not like us. Normally, if you're our guest, we normally are in one particular passage of Scripture, and we preach it a verse at a time, and it's expository style of preaching, and it has educated us in the Word. I believe it really has nourished our roots deep into the Word of God, and the Word is dwelling in us much more richly as we go about it that way. But tonight, I, I need to go a couple of places in the end to, to draw, draw a, a, a theme, if I can, to, to, to paint a picture for you that we're going to find. And I told you Joshua 6, I actually want us to begin in Joshua 2. So go back four chapters for me. We have to go a little further back to get back to the part of the story that I want to share with you tonight. So Joshua chapter number 2. Quickly, as you're turning, I'm going to fill you in as to what's going on. Remember, <clears throat> we like to start with a wide-angle lens and then narrow that thing down to the part of the Scripture we're looking at now. And so as we look at the book of Joshua, Old Testament book, Old Testament meaning uh, the covenant between God and his people that was established by the law. There was a need for a high priest and the priestly service and a sacrificial system and all kinds of things, and that was all part of the Old Testament. Testament covenant, same word. New Testament is where you and I are living on this side of the cross. This New Testament, this new covenant, Jesus said, is in his blood. And because of his blood, you and I can have right relationship with God the Father, not by our own righteousness, but by righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? What a testament. Amen. What a testament. I love the New Testament. Anybody love the New Testament? Old covenant shows me how much I am appreciative of the New Covenant. The book of Hebrews compares the two and says this of the New Covenant. It is the better of the two, all right? <clears throat> now, as we think about the big picture, there's big picture, the Bible, all right? Now, we're looking at one book of the Bible uh, called Joshua. It's written about a man who took the leadership role of God's people. In the Old Testament, God was forming a nation of people called the Jews, called the Israelites, called the children of Israel, and they were his own special people. He called them out of the nations of the world, and he wanted to show he had wanted a people special for him. He didn't choose them because they were great in number. He didn't choose them because they had done some great accomplishments. Matter of fact, he chose them as the weaker to make them the greater, not because of their accomplishments, but because of who he is. And what a picture of the new covenant, amen? He didn't choose me and you because we were special or we've accomplished some major thing, but because really in our lives, in our weakness, he displays his great power. You'll notice a theme in the Old Covenant. As God is shaping this people, it's a picture of him shaping the church, calling the church out of the common way of living into his own special people, not by nationality, but by confession. Did you hear me say that? You and I are not in the family of God by our nationality. We are in the family of God by our confession. By the way, what is the confession that you and I share that brought us into the kingdom? Here it is. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the confession that brings us to salvation. So, <clears throat> we see some parallels. Now, what's happened is God has chosen a leader, a man by the name of Moses, and Moses has led them out of Egypt, and now uh, Moses has died, and Joshua has raised up, and they've crossed over the Jordan River, and the first little spot on the map that they have to fight and conquer is a city called, I was just you guys got to remember that now, if you didn't. If you don't remember from this morning, we're in trouble. So, Jericho. <clears throat> and we learned this morning that they faced this place, a city, fortified walls, mighty men of valor, had a king. Had, In other words, if they had a king, they had a system of warriors that defended and fought. And though they were outmatched, uh, they won the battle simply because they trusted and they followed God with total surrender. Remember, we talked about that this morning. So, I want to kind of uh, bring your attention to what happens next. As they go into, remember they march one time around the wall uh, per day for how many days? 
Six days, you guys are sharp. Six days, on the seventh day, they went seven laps. And at the end of the seventh lap, they didn't say a word the whole time. At the end of the seventh lap, they were instructed by God, seven priests with seven ram's horns, right? And what were they supposed to do? <clears throat> Blast the horns and shout. When they did, what happened? Somebody help me. Flat. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Joe. I was hoping somebody was going to say flat because we had to remember that from this morning. The walls fell down flat. And it says that every man, every man went in straight away, meaning this. They didn't have to dodge rubble. These huge walls were powderized by God. They didn't have to climb up over rubble. They didn't have to go a long way around. It says that every man got up and went straight in. Nothing obstructed him. That which was impossible to pass, by faith and total surrender, God had leveled and moved it out of their way, and they went straight in and took the city. Now, taking the city, saying it that way sounds nice and clean, and, you know, they took the city. All right. But what did that mean? It meant a lot of people died. It means a lot of bloodshed. It means a lot of <clears throat> people were killed in that battle. And <clears throat> you may be thinking to yourself, what, is, uh, do, what can I understand about God in that these people were killed? And, and the truth of the matter is simply this. We learn from further texts and references in the New Testament that these were people who would not believe. So because they would not believe and they would not put their hope and trust in the God of the Bible, then they perish. Did you know the Word of God says this? Unless you repent and turn and are born again, you also will perish. God is just, so just as gracious as God is, He's also full of wrath. And unless you have the covering of Jesus and you've come to Him by grace through faith, you will, in fact, face the wrath of God. He's the same yesterday as He is today. So, uh, we learn from that, don't we? The wrath of God is poured out on Jericho, and they're all, they're all being killed, except in the bloodbath that's taking place, uh, one person and her family is spared. And that person is a lady by the name of Rahab. Okay? Now, do you feel like you have a little bit of a firm footing? Now, what we're going to do is go, this is in chapter 6, what I just told you. But what we're doing, I need y'all to stay with me tonight because I've got to paint a picture. I'm asking God to help me do it in a way that my brain is all over the map, that I can paint it in a way that you can get it. So now we hear about them being spared, her and her family being spared in chapter 6. But what we're going to do is go back and look in chapter 2 and answer the question, why was she spared? All right? And again, the key to God rescue, all right? And so let's stand to our feet, if you will, in honor of reading God's Word. And we're going back to Joshua chapter 2, and we're just going to read two verses. I'm going to pray. We're going to read more than that along the way, Um, but you just follow along with me, all right, as best you can. We need the help of the Holy Ghost, amen? Yes, we do. So let's read now Joshua in chapter 2, verse number 1. Now, Joshua... Remember, we're rewinding back, and they're, they're looking at Jericho, and they're considering taking Jericho, and Joshua takes a page out of Moses' book. Moses sent spies over to the promised land, remember? Twelve of them. Ten came back. They had a vote, and the ten said no, and they didn't, and you know what happens next. Forty years of wandering. Now, Joshua's sending some spies, but he's sending them into the city, okay, just two, <laughs> and you uh, reduce his number there. You see that? And so what happens is he sends those two spies, and that's where we're picking up. And now in verse number one, now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they came to the house of a harlot named, somebody help me, Rahab. Now, do you know what a harlot is? Did anybody use that word harlot this week? Anybody? Raise your hand if you use the word harlot. I really got to find out how you use that in a sentence. So a harlot was a prostitute. Uh, She was a lady who sold her body for profit. Now, here you have the quiet awkwardness in the room. I need you to think about the brokenness of Rahab's life. 
the pain and the misery, if you will, of her daily exercise, that which she chose to make money, and the uh, degradation that comes. Can I just say the degradation that comes with selling yourself in order to make the ends meet? Is everybody with me? So this is who we're dealing with, Rahab. So let's read, if we can, getting on in verse number one. So they went and came to the house of a harlot, a prostitute named Rahab, and they lodged there. They stayed with her. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, and this is what he said, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. So he goes to the city, goes to the men, he says, I need you to, everybody, everybody gets the word, bring out the spies. Verse number four, then the woman, Rahab, took the two men, and what'd she do with them? Hid them. Oh my goodness, do you know what happened if a king caught you in this particular day and time, uh, going against his orders? Let me tell you what did not happen. They did not take you before a jury of your peers. Um, they would kill you on the spot any way they decided to do it, and they would do it usually if you defied the king's orders. They would kill you in a slow, painful, public way so that your family watched and everybody got to see it happen so that nobody else ever thought about crossing the king. So you say, why'd you say that? <laughs> I need you to understand the, the, the severity of what she's doing. She decided in a moment to hide these men who she didn't know. Now let's read a little further along. Then, then the woman took the two men, I'm in verse 4, and hid them. And so she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men, they went out. And where the men went, I don't know, but pursue them quickly for you may overtake them. But she had, verse 6, notice the parenthetical statement, parentheses, but she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. Can you see those guys hiding in flax on the roof? Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, <clears throat> they shut the gate. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and came to the men and said, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Now, I know I said I was going to read two verses, but stay with me. Do you see what happened here? Uh, do you remember we saying this morning about faith has evidence? And remember I told you that, that when, 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 when Jesus, the pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus in Joshua 5 and 6, when he said, see, I've given you the city, that the city wasn't given yet, but the gates were shut. Why? Why? We know now why. Because they were scared. They were scared. Now, the terror of you has fallen on us, verse 9, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. We've heard about your God. Let, let me show you, verse number 10. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water on the Red Sea for you. When you came out of Egypt, and we heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. We heard as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, listen closely, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Hallelujah. Let's, let's just pause here and pray, and then we'll go a little further, okay? Will you bow your head with me for just a moment? Oh, what a picture. What a picture of faith in action and the rescue of God that comes with it. So, Father, I pray tonight, <clears throat> Lord, you know me better than anybody in this room, including myself. And you know, Father, how all over the place I can be. Help me tonight then to focus and deliver this message with precision in such a way that every single person within the sound of my voice, whether they're in this room, somewhere in a different location in these United States, in another country, or, God, listen to a podcast weeks and months from now, my hope and prayer is that tonight you would help me deliver in such a way they get it, that we get it. 
So, Father, help me, I pray. And as you help me to preach, Lord, help me to listen. Uh, Now, only you can do that. Allow a human vessel to preach and listen at the same time. Um, But, God, I pray you'd help every person here to listen, to listen on the front edge of our seat, Lord, as if we slept two extra hours instead of miss one. And, Father, that we would hang on every word, that we would take it personal, that it would be as if you, God, have us as your little child with both hands on our face speaking life directly to us one-on-one. So do it again, God. Do it again for your name's sake. It's in the mighty name of Christ that we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's settle in for just a moment and be reminded the title of the message is The Key to God Rescue, all right? The Key to God Rescue. I wish I could tell you how many times over the years I've had this conversation. It seems to be on loop. I hear it sometimes from young people. Sometimes I hear it from middle-aged people. Sometimes I hear it from older people. Sometimes I hear it from lighter-skinned people. Sometimes I hear it from darker-skinned people. Sometimes I hear it from men. Sometimes I hear it from women. Sometimes I hear it from people who have been addicted to things. Sometimes I hear it from people who have never been addicted to things. Sometimes I hear it from people who are not very educated and struggle with making sentences and reading well. Sometimes I hear it from people who are highly educated who have written books on their own. And here's the conversation that seems to be on loop every year of my life, every week of my life, and not every day, but most days. Here's what it sounds like. You know, I appreciate the offer to come to Jesus, but you don't know what I have done. And to which I say, that's true, I don't, but he does. And I know this, he loves you and he's moved heaven and earth to pay the price for your salvation. Sometimes people will say to me, I, listen, I, I'm, I've, I'm, I know I'm saved, but I can't uh, come worship with you. I can't go and gather with anybody to worship because I have failed God so miserably, so publicly, and so I don't belong. I don't deserve to get to gather with the people of God. I shouldn't be a part of the family, and so I really just can't. And I, I love to say to them, listen, you have no idea the depth of God's grace and mercy in that he said the church is a hospital for the sick. And that even the guy preaching is still in need of his healing every single moment of every hour of every day. And so today, tonight, we're going to look at the example of that from the Scripture. And so I want you to be reminded tonight that there is a rescue that God can bring into our life. And there's a key to it, and we're going to find out what it is. So let me give you the main idea if I can. I'm going to prove this in three different aspects tonight, or highlight it, if you will. The main idea, you say, what is that? Well, that's the main purpose, the main thrust, the one main thread that you can get from what we're about to look at together. That is this, by faith we are saved. That's it. Very simply put, by faith we are saved, all right? So let's talk for a moment about this faith and the rescue of God. I'm going to say it three different ways. Number one, write this in your notes there. By faith, we're going to start all three statements the same way, by faith, okay? So by faith, number one, by faith, God rescues those with a past. Can I tell you tonight, the guy preaching has a past, And I wish I could tell you uh, the number of times that I have failed God uh, this past week and conversations and attitudes in my head. And I wish I could tell you uh, some of the things that have happened in my past that if I could play them on a screen, you would have to pinch yourself. You wouldn't believe it was the same guy. And yet the case remains the same. It was, in fact, me. I did it. I could say that some of the reason for that was the home uh, where alcohol was abused and prescription medication. It was all kind of chaos, and I could use that as an excuse to prop myself up. I could say that, you know, uh, I had a broken home. Things were hard. I could give all kind of reason. But let me just say there comes a point in time where a person has to take responsibility for their own actions. And so I stand before you tonight and say this. It was me who did it. It was me who did those things. And so tonight, I am so wonderfully glad I can stand flat foot and tell you that God, by faith, God rescues those with 
a past. All right, let's, let's just prove that. What are we learning here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 in Joshua? We learn about a lady whose name is Rahab, and we don't know yet that he's going to save her in chapter 2. We learn that later in chapter 6. But what we learn here in chapter 2, uh, looking backwards from chapter 6, we would say, wouldn't we be right to say she had a past? Now, we would, we would be right to say all of us have a past, but we could add to this, we could add to this that Rahab had a jaded past. Would you agree with that statement? Would, would it be fair to say that she had a jaded past but in the fact that she was selling herself for profit? Two people say yes. I'm shouting amen for the front of the room. Maybe a few of y'all agree with me before we get done. She had a past, and she had a difficult past, and she had a dirty past, and she had a mingled past, and she had a painful past. And in chapter 2, it's present. In chapter 6, it's past. And I thank God that where you have been and where you are right now can be, and in fact, hopefully in Jesus Christ will be, past tense. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful that when I see the greatest blunders of my life there in the rearview mirror, and my hope is that my greatest blunders are not ahead of me, but in fact, behind me. Why? Because by faith, God rescues those, help me out, with a past. And so Rahab had a past. She sold herself over and over and over and over again. She was known in the town as the lady who sold herself for profit. And so I'm just thinking uh, from the perspective of society, how well do you think she'd fit in today if she came in and said, hey, guys, <clears throat> y'all know where my house is. Y'all know what I do. I'm going to sit down right here. And I just know that sometimes we have a tendency to look at people differently. And we have a tendency to treat people differently. Uh, you don't believe that? Listen to people sometimes. They'll say, they'll say well, that's, they're just a drug head, whatever in the world that is. I hear people toss around the term crackhead. You know, I hear all kinds of nonsense tossed around about things that happened in the past or even in the present to identify someone. Let me say that we have a tendency to do that, don't we, and to label folk. Let, let me give you another one. You ready? Here's the one I hear most commonly by the good old boys. Here it is. I hate a thief. And so instead of being prejudiced against someone who struggles with drug, we have a tendency to have a prejudice against somebody who takes things. We don't consider the reason why or what might have shaped them or who they don't know or who they do know and whether or not they're born again. And we just hate the fact they stole something that, we, that wasn't theirs. And we don't hate the sin. We oftentimes hate the sinner. And that's not the heart of God. And I, let me tell you something. I am so very thankful in my hope and prayers that not only is this true about God, but it ought also be true about God's children. And what I'm praying for you and me is that we leave out of these doors with a little more love and compassion in our heart about the condition of people who are not, listen to me, identified by their sin. Okay? So, by faith, God rescues those with a past. They come to her. They are spying out her land. They're foreigners. And she very easily could have said, well, listen, uh, y'all go hide up in the reed on the top in the flax, and I'm going to lie and say where you are, right? And she could have very easily, when the king came and the messengers came, they're upstairs. You know, and they went up there and killed him and end of story. Um, but there was something inside of Rahab that believed, uh-oh, that believed that their God, she said it in verse number, what was it, verse number 11, when she said, that for the Lord your God, he really is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And what she's saying in verse 11 is, I believe, I have faith. I have faith that your God's the real God. I have faith that he is the creator. I have faith that he's God of heaven and God of earth. I really believe, though my lifestyle is broken, and though I am broken and sick and need of rescue, I'm telling you that I have faith in your God. And then, and then we notice some things about her faith. Three things in particular. Now we're going to have a pop quiz from this morning. Three things that we said faith has, always has, if it's genuine faith. You ready? Number one, we said faith has Somebody remember from this morning. Look at there. Drew it right from your memory. Faith has 
evidence. Now, what is the evidence for her that caused her to believe? <clears throat> she said, we've heard about your God. <laughs> There's evidence that your God's real because he dried up the Red Sea and let y'all cross over. Uh, we've heard about your God. Those two kings, Sagan and Og over there, that y'all utterly whipped their tails. You should have been able to beat them. We are, I believe that your God by the evidence. She's not seen their God. Listen to me. But she has heard about the evidence of their God. And so faith is evidence. It has evidence. Second thing about faith, faith tests our allegiance. You see, to place your faith in God, and specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way to know God is to put into a, a test of your allegiance to all kinds of things. Uh, a test of allegiance first and foremost uh, to your allegiance to, we talked about this morning, to ourselves. You see, in order for Jesus Christ to be Savior, he must also be Lord. And for him to be Lord means you'll have to get off the throne, and I'll have to get off the throne, and we'll have to invite Jesus on the throne, not as a, not as a co-pilot, that old nonsense bumper sticker. No, no. Uh, if he's your co-pilot, you better swap seats. And so we must vacate the throne and invite Jesus to be the Lord of our life. You see, faith has evidence, but faith also tests our allegiance. Now, what was the allegiance that was tested in the life of this lady named Rahab? Her allegiance to her country, to her king. Listen, she was a citizen of Jericho, which means her king, the king of Jericho, was in fact her king. And so it would have been really easy, wouldn't it, to sell out those two spies of these foreigners uh, who's God that you only know about, that you believe in, but it would be really easy to sell them out. But her faith, her, her faith tested her allegiance, whether she's going to put her hope in the king of Jericho or if she's going to put her hope in the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it tested her allegiance. And isn't it beautiful that in the test of her allegiance, she didn't even hesitate. She said, y'all go hide up there when they came looking. I don't know where they were. They went that way. <laughs> go hurry. Go chase them. And so we see that faith tests our allegiance. And sometimes I've seen faith test the allegiance of people in so many different ways. I know people who have, who have family members who uh, believe different than the Bible teaches. And so when they're confronted with a child or a cousin or a spouse who comes to faith, a biblical faith in the Son of God, God become man, and they get right with God through Jesus by faith. Listen to me, by faith. Sometimes I have seen a family cut them off. Stop talking. to. Can you imagine being so hard-hearted that if your family members said they believed a different way, you stopped talking to them and stopped loving them? By the way, Christianity and following Jesus never looks like that. We love them right where they are. Doesn't mean we condone any other behavior. We love them where they are. Hallelujah. We bring them in. We love on them. We point them to Jesus. We let them see our lives. We, see, we let them see behind locked doors. We let them see that we're different from the outside, uh, from the inside out. Amen. And so listen, sometimes in this journey, your faith in Jesus is going to be tested. Your allegiance to him is going to be tested. And sometimes it's going to be those in your own home that are going to test it. I wish I could tell you how many times I've watched a spouse drag the other one outside the doors and throw a wet blanket on their faith and quench the fire of God in their lives. They'll be white hot on fire for God, studying the Scriptures, serving, so full of joy, walking away from sin, walking in victory, and you see that spouse come in, and they're not committed, and they're just trying to convince the other one not to come and not be here. And so it, let me just say something. This is not, this place is not your faith. You with me? But it's a great place to have your faith stoked up. Amen? And so we see it happen all the time. I'm telling you, your faith in Jesus is going to be tested. The allegiance to him is going to be tested over and over by your friends, by your family members. All right, thirdly, we said, we said faith has evidence. Two, we said faith tests our allegiance. And thirdly, do you remember the third one? Faith requires. So what was her action? What was Rahab's action that proved her faith? She hit him. 
She could have said, well, listen, I believe in y'all's God. I mean, I believe in y'all's God, but listen, y'all going to have to get out of here. Y'all going to be killed. Right? Isn't that what Christianity looks like sometimes? Oh, I believe. I believe with all my heart. But the moment it costs me something, I don't believe so much anymore. But faith, true faith, saving faith, real faith, faith is willing to say, at all costs, I believe. And she believed in such a way that she was willing to say, y'all go hide out there. It may get me killed, but I'm trusting in your God. So you go hide, and the faith that I have is now going to be on display in my actions. Let me say something to you. Listen closely. Your faith that you have or don't have is always on display in how you act or do not act. Never forget that. Never forget that. Okay, so by faith, God rescues those with a past. And so now I want you to fast forward with me to Joshua chapter 6, and let's look at the rescue, okay? Let's look at the rescue. So by faith, God rescues those with a... By the way, y'all are mumbling a little bit, so I'm, I'm afraid I'm in a group of people who don't have a past or maybe think they don't have a past. And so I need to ask you tonight, I think it would be a good part just to stop and just to ask you a question, you know, because we're just sort of like those have a past, you know. Um, I, just, I just need to ask you tonight by a show of hands if, if you recognize the fact that, that before Jesus, that, that before today, you also had a past. And if you understand that, would you raise your hand up toward the heaven if you say you have a past? And what I want to say to you right now, I want you guys to look around real quickly. Just hold your hand up. Now, look, it's every single solitary one of us. See, some of y'all coming here thought you were in a group of perfect people because we were smiling when we came in. You know, that's what we do. They're smiling. They got it all together, and I don't fit in. And the truth of the matter is, man, if you heard some of our stories, it'd scare you half to death. If you heard some of our stories, it would cause you to say, well, you know what? Really, my life's not as (laughs) difficult and a mess as I thought it was. And if God can rescue us by faith, my dear friend, listen to me, he can certainly rescue you by faith. And so faith, we said it has evidence. It tests our allegiance, and it requires action. She hid them away. But let's see, let's see for a minute the rescue. So this is Joshua 6, and I want you to look with me at verse number 21 to verse number 20. Are you all having as much fun as I am? Hey, are you encouraged by Rahab's life and her testimony? Of, just hang on. It's going, it's going to get even more rich before we get done. And so now let's look at the rescue. So faith, by faith, God can rescue those who have a past, all right? So let's look at the rescue. This is Joshua 6, verse 21. You guys there? All right, let's read. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city. Now, we fast-forwarded. They have, remember, Joshua's charging, the man of God on mission. Son, anything in his way, he's mowing it down. Why? He's the alpha male, anointed of God, called of God. He's walking in the provision of God, the power of God. He's living out the will of God, and he's taking names and kicking tails, or just kicking tails. He don't have to take names. But as he's on his route, somebody stands in his way in in opposition, in in his path to get there in their face-to-face. And the guy's got his sword drawn, and as he rolls up on the guy, he asks the question. Remember, very confidently, hey, I just need to know something. Are you for us or are you against us? And the answer was, no. No. And we believe that it's a pre-incarnate visit of the Lord Jesus Christ because there's worship that happens there, see. And so he takes his shoes. You remember the story. And then when they go, they do what he says. One time a day, six days, seven days, they go seven laps, blast the trumpet horn, the ram's horn, and when they blast it, the walls are reduced to nothing, and they go straight in. And that's where we found ourselves, verse 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city. Did you read that? They utterly destroyed what? All. And hang on to that. They utterly destroyed, killed, wiped out all that was in the city, both man and young and oxen and donkey with the edge of the sword. There was an absolute bloodbath that day. Uh, Make no mistake, 
Um, God is just and gracious, but he also, if you won't turn to him, there is, there is eternal punishment for breaking his laws and not receiving him by faith. His offer to everybody. Listen, verse number 22, but Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. Now, what I didn't share with you from back in chapter 2 is that those two spies, before they slipped back out again, said to her, because of your faith, because of what you've done, there's going to be a rescue. There's going to be a rescue for you and your family. And the, as long as they are inside this house and they, they're part of your family, we're going to spare them. Nobody else but just you because you have had faith. You have faith. By, by faith, God rescues those who have a past. Of all the people, the town prostitute, and he says, because you have faith, aren't you glad we can't be disqualified in our own accord? And this is what they said. They said, we're going to give you a scarlet cord that you've lowered us down, and you tie the scarlet cord in the window, and when we're utterly destroying everything, we'll see that scarlet cord or oh, a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ, scarlet like that precious blood, and we'll see that, and we will spare you by grace. We will save you and your family. So let's watch where it happens. They utterly destroy everything, man, woman, boy, and girl, ox and donkey, and everything. And verse 22 said, except for go to the harlot's house, go to the prostitute's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, just like you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. And I want to ask you, don't you imagine it was a very intense moment? She, again, is trusting in the grace of God right there because she is a, she's not a, uh, she is a believer. She's just part of the city, and everything in the city is getting wiped out, and, and she's been in there hearing the screams. You know, when you get run through with a sword, it's not always fast. And so people are screaming, and animals are screaming. It's a horrible scene. And they're, they're hit up in there. They've got that scarlet cord, you know, out the window. And they're just, don't you know they're hopeful? And they're, and they're just hoping that God's going to save them. And so the spies come to their home. And they go in in verse 23. And they bring out Rahab. Are you reading with me verse 23? Who else? Her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron. They put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua, here it is, you read in verse 25, and Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because, why? Because her faith had action. She hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. What a rescue. I'm telling you, it must have been some terrifying moments leading up to the knock on the door. Now, I don't know about you, I'd have been a little hesitant. Huh? You been hearing all that screaming? I mean, there's a different scream when somebody scares you as to when they're killing your family member in front of you. And you're trying to fight back, but you're losing. I mean, you're losing. You don't stand a chance. Why? Because these people have God on their side. And so there's this all, and you've trusted in your ability to fight, and you've trusted in your swords and shields and chariots, and you've trusted in all this stuff. But let me tell you something, friend, you can trust in all that, but we, the people of God, don't trust in all that junk. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. And in the midst of that, there comes a knock at the door, screaming and blood-curdling screams and sounds of swords clanging, and, and you hear a, man, I don't know. I mean, I'm just telling you guys, I'm being honest. I don't know. I mean, what about you? I know some of y'all got real strong faith. Some of y'all, I'd open right on open the door. I mean, I don't know. They probably would have, I just think there might have been a little hesitation. Except that she's already seen the provision of God in the people of God. She's already rescued them and was a part of, of her faith being active. And now she's trusting the same God who had saved the Israelites time and time again to save her. And listen to me. You ready for this? 
And so he does. And they're delivered. Isn't that beautiful? What a story. Listen, only the, only the God of the Bible reaches down to the prostitute and says, I'm giving you an offer of grace that you can be forgiven and brought into the family. You said, he didn't bring in the family. You hang on. I'm about to show you. And so I'm going to bring you into the family. You're no longer going to have a past. I'm going to rescue you from that past. Second thing I want us to see as we move through this passage, okay, is in Matthew. Oh, I told you we were going to move around a little bit, so just hang on. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. It's going to come on the overhead, so just hang on. I'm going to just give you the statement first. Write this down first. By faith, we said first, God rescues those with a... <clears throat> Number two, we said by faith, God uses those with a past. See, he doesn't just rescue us and then put us on a shelf somewhere and say, here are my trophies. Um, he rescues us in order that he might use us. Write that somewhere. God rescues us in order that he might use us. So if you are here and you have been rescued by the grace of God found in Jesus Christ, my question for you is, how are you letting God use you? How's he using you? All right, so for just a minute, all right, just for the sake of humoring us tonight, over in your notes there to the side, I want you to write a category of the ways that you are allowing God to use you. So just write how God's using me. Just write that real quick. I'm waiting on y'all. All right, just write how God's using me. And then underneath that, I want you just to write down the ways that you're letting God use you. Okay, so go ahead. Take your time. Make your list out. I'm going to just wait. Now, some of y'all are just staring at me. Now, it makes you a little bit fearful in that you've missed the purpose for why he saved you. All right? So he saved us in order to what? Use us. Okay? So just make your list out how God's using you. Just make that list out. All right? Right over on the right-hand side of your notes. Now, after you've made your list, I know you're not finished. Some of y'all have a long list of how God's using you, and it's not prideful. It's just you're just letting God use you, and it's an awesome thing to watch, okay? But let me ask you, as you look at that right-hand category, right now, I want you to look down. Everybody looking down at your paper where you wrote down your list of how God, you're letting God use you, okay? You're looking at it? Let me ask you a question. Do you think that that measures up to the rescue that he provided? And I'd have to look at mine and say the same. Now, listen, that's not to beat us down. That's not to say, oh, I need to be doing 12,000 more things. No, it just means that tonight I need, God, I need God to reach down and just sort of call me up. Out of laziness, I need him to call me up out of church attendance. I need God not to beat me down, but to just call me up, challenge me, call me up to say, hey, hey, listen now, I didn't save you just for you to sit around. I saved you to go and make disciples. Now, come on, let's get on, on with the program because time is short and people are dying and going to hell and there's people who are saved that are confused and are not making disciples and we are running out of time. And so we have to get about the business of the kingdom. So by faith, God uses those of the past. Matthew chapter five, excuse me, chapter one, verse number five, all right? Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 5. Do you see that on the overhead? What do we have here? We have a strange verse of Scripture. Anybody care to stand and read those for us? You don't know whether to pronounce the L or not, do you? Right? Is it Salmon? Is it Salmon? What is it? And so as we think about for just a minute this wonderful name, what do we have here in the beginning of Matthew? We have the genealogy. What is a genealogy? It's the family tree uh, of someone, all right? And this family tree has listed a whole bunch of names. Begot means they had, they birthed, they, they procreated. Y'all with me? Yeah, we don't have to go in detail? <clears throat> All right, everybody's together. They begot. They came together and had this child, and the child's name was the next one. They begot mean they had this child, they had that child. And so here we have uh, somebody with the name, we're going to call him Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz. But how did Salmon begot Boaz? Because Boaz is Obed's, right? Uh, by Ruth, and Boaz also had Obed, which is, also had Jesse, and Jesse is the father of a pretty prominent king in Israel. Do you know who that is? David. David. All right, so let's just stop there. 
David. Now, how many of you would say it would be pretty important? If you'll leave that verse for me, I want to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, as we think about this verse and we think about uh, this, wouldn't you say it would be a pretty prominent position to say that you were uh, part of bringing David, the shepherd king, to Israel, who, who because of his follow of God, now I know he royally messed up, right? I, I know. But he repented of that. And the good news is, just like Rahab, David had a past. And God still used him after he repented and came home. And so what happens is he, he conquered more territory. There were, Israel was in control of more territory in the promised land uh, at, than at any other time of any other king ever, all right? And so he was a mighty man of God, and that was David. And who's, verse 5, by the way, who is uh, uh, David's, you know, great, 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 great grandmother, what have you? Well, Salmon begat Boaz, and had it, what was the, who was his wife? What was the mother of Boaz? Rahab. Everywhere else you see Rahab's name, it says Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the prostitute, but not here. All we see here is Rahab the mother of Boaz and the grandmother of Obad and the great-grandmother of Jesse and the great-great-grandmother of David. Now, we would say tonight, wow, that God, we said by faith God rescues those with the past, but we say now that by faith God uses those with the past because, good gracious, he used his prostitute to bring about the greatest king in Israel's history. What an awesome thing, man. I mean, good night. Can you imagine being able to say, that's my great-great-grandson down there uh, that is doing what God said do, and he's just annihilating folks and taking over territory and leading God's people well. But let me just take it a step further. Because if you go on down this genealogy, you see this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 was not put there in order for us to know the lineage of David. No, no, no. In fact, this genealogy is placed there as the birth narrative of someone much more prominent than King David. His name, if you know it, say it with me, is Jesus. So then... Rahab the prostitute is not only part of the responsibility, a responsible party of people for bringing in King David, Rahab the prostitute is responsible for bringing to earth the God-man. How about that? Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Only God can, by faith, use people with pasts like mine and pasts like Rahab's and pasts like David's in order to do things that bring honor and glory to his own name. I believe with all my heart the purpose with which God does it. Now, somebody asked me one time, why does God use people like Moses who was a murderer and Noah who was a drunk and, and you who were a former bouncer? Why does God do that? I said, that's an easy question. He said, no, I've debated it with a lot of people. I said, no, it's easy. He said, how's it easy? I said, here's the answer. You ready? We're all he's got. Every single one of you out there looking back at me, you have a testimony too. Now, somebody would say to me, I don't have a very powerful testimony. I said, really? Have you been born again? Well, yeah, but I didn't do the alcohol and the violence and the things that you did. I know, but I said, yes, but you know what? Do you know that before Jesus, you were lost and dead in your trespasses? And if you'd have died before that, you'd have burst tail wide open. You'd have been on fire for the rest of eternity. And God in his mercy and grace came down, and you were not part of darkness. You were darkness, according to the scripture. And he came down in that pit and reached down. He pursued you, chased you down, and gave you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you accepted Jesus. He pulled you out out of that pit, and you're telling me you don't have a powerful testimony? Hallelujah. What more powerful testimony could a person want than to say, I was born an enemy of God. I was born again as a child of God. 30-second testimony, most powerful thing you'll ever hear. So God, by faith, by faith, God uses those with a past. Isn't that true? Now, as we talk about the most prominent of this genealogy is the God-man, Jesus Christ. I want to just sort of remind you of something about Jesus. Can I do that? Great. Here I go. John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1, I want us to just focus for a moment on Rahab's responsibility in bringing this person named Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Now, sometimes we think we understand him, don't we? 
Anybody still in the house? I heard some grunts out there. <clears throat> and so we think we have him figured out, and we think we understand the totality. We hear people talk about him. We learn a little bit about him. And we think we've got him figured out. But who was this Jesus that this prostitute had a part and portion back in his lineage in bringing him to be born as a man? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go, John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. How big was the birth of Jesus? How big was Rahab, a prostitute, being part of his lineage that would bring the God-man? Now, what does the Scripture say about Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4? In the beginning was, somebody help me, the Word. All right, so where do I see Jesus? I don't yet. Hang on. And the Word was with God, okay? So in the beginning, now that means before time began is the literal phrase in the Hebrew. Before time began was the Word, all right? And the Word was with God. So to, in order, here's what John is doing. He's showing us that the God man, well, oh, oh, I just let the cat out of the bag. Uh, we, we, he's showing us that whoever this Word is, wink, wink, whoever this Word is, is equal to God but separate. Does that make sense? Because uh, I can't be with me, I am me. Oh, okay, hang on to that. So here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word, so he's timeless. And the Word was with God. He is equal to God but separate. Oh, he's God the Son. All right, hang on. And the Word was God. So wait a minute now, this Jesus, well, I haven't proven that yet. Let me just, this person referred to as the Word was with God from the beginning of time. He's timeless. And he was with God. And he also, <laughs> so he's equal to, but separate. He is God, but he's not the Father. Huh, who is this word? Now remember, what's the point of me highlighting the supremacy of Jesus and the, and the magnitude, the preeminence of the God-man? Rahab was in his lineage, the prostitute. She sold her body for profit, and she put her hope and faith in God. And God rescued her, and now he used her to do what? To bring the word. Oh, wait a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me go down to verse 14 real quick. i got I got to solve the mystery, right? Here it is. John 1 and verse 14. Who is this word? And the, John 1 and verse 14 says, and the word became, so the word was God. So we can say God became a man. You see that? The word was God. He was with God. He was God. And then at a particular time in history, he became a man, a flesh, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we, human beings, beheld the glory of God and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Grace, he said, whosoever will, come to me. He said, come to me, grace. You talking about grace? He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You talking about grace? We don't deserve that, but by grace we can receive it. But here's truth. You ready? Him and Nicodemus are talking. Nicodemus says, you're a great teacher. You must be from God. Maybe you're a prophet. Maybe you're a, uh, maybe you're a good teacher. Maybe you're, and Jesus looked right through all of that mess and said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Truth. <laughs> Perfect balance of grace and truth was the God-man, Jesus Christ. And who was in his genealogy? Somebody help me. Rahab, what? You mean the infinite God would choose in his sovereignty to use someone as broken as Rahab to be a part of the group of people in the lineage, generation by generation, to bring God into human form in the flesh? What in the world? Are you kidding me? And you think God can't use you? You mean to tell me you believe the lie of the enemy that says you've gone too far and you've done too much and that God can't use you? you what, a, what a lie from the pit of hell. Listen, friend, if he can use Rahab, he can use you. 
And so God, by faith, uses those with a past. I'm going to move on to number three. Y'all ready? Let's try and land this plane if we can. Guess where we're going to go for this one? Same verse. Matthew 1 and verse number 5. And I alluded to it just a moment ago. So first we said, by faith, God rescues those with the past. Her name was Rahab. In Joshua 2, she presented her faith. In Joshua 6, her faith was rewarded. You see, faith has evidence. It tests our allegiance. Are we going to go with our husband or go with our parents? Or are we going to go with Jesus? And it also requires action, okay? Secondly, we said, by faith, God uses those with the past. He used Rahab to bring the Son of God, God become flesh, to the earth. Wow, what an assignment from God. And then finally, number three, by faith. We said we're going to start them all three the same way. By faith, God redefines those with the past. Redefines those with the past. Now, before I flesh this out in Matthew 1 and verse 5, I want to ask you from this morning's passage and sort of tying all this together. Some of might would say, well, we finished in Matthew, so it was a New Testament message. No, no, no. <clears throat> it's an Old Testament message that points to the New Testament, right? Uh, why did we go to Matthew 1 and verse 5? Because Rahab's name was mentioned, and we needed to go and see how that plugged into the genealogy of the coming of the Son of God. So, uh, I want you to see tonight, before we go to Matthew 1 and verse 5 again, my question for you based on this morning's message, here's our quiz for tonight, all right? And you have to answer this or we can't leave. All right? So what is the question? <clears throat> the question is, in this morning's historical account of the children of Israel battling against the people of Jericho, all right, before the battle happened, there was somebody, uh, somebody's who were redefined. Do you know who they were? The children of Israel. On the bank, just on the other side of the Jordan, on the plains of Jericho, there was two things that happened, circumcision and the Passover. Now, those two things identified them as God's people. You say, is that the redefining? No, no, no. Uh, remember what he called the place where they were? God did. Gilgal. And what did, does anybody remember what Gilgal means? Rolled away. And God said to them, I'm naming this place Gilgal because I'm rolling away the reproach of, that Egypt has on you guys. In other words, I'm redefining who you are. Another way of saying it is, I'm changing your reputation among the people of the world. They're going to know that I'm your God and you're my people because I'm about to show a victory that makes no sense to anybody except when they say they just walked around the wall a bunch of times and blasted a trumpet and that thing flattened out and they killed everybody except for the prostitute. What in the world? And the people will have to say there's no explanation except there be the God of the Bible is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. So back to Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 5, and I'm going to touch on Hebrews 11 here in just a moment, all right? So by faith, we said finally, <clears throat> God redefines those with the past. Let me ask you something. Are you known as a different person than you used to be? Can you, <clears throat> can you still meet people who are surprised at who you are today uh, versus who you used to be? Uh, my list, uh, the longer time goes, the less people I have, but I sure do love it when it happens. They'll say, What? I know. And they'll just look at me like, can I pinch you to see if it's really you, you know? And, and they're amazed at what God is able to do with anybody, with a nobody from nowhere like me. And somebody with a past, a jaded past, a, a messed up past, jacked up past, hot mess, you know, messed up in every which way a person could mess up. And yet here I stand. Because God, I'm telling you, by faith, God rescues those of the past. And second, we talked about the fact that God uses those with a past by faith by faith now it's the key 
But thirdly, by faith, God redefines those of the past. Now, listen to what happens in Matthew 1 and verse 5. And I told you a minute ago, and this is the point I want to make. In this list, in verse number 5, let's just read it, okay, real quickly. We see Salmon begot Boaz. Y'all read with me, all right? Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Do you see anywhere the title of the harlot? I alluded to it a minute ago. Do you see prostitute there anywhere? No, all, all you see here is uh, a man uh, uh, getting with a woman and having a child. And so the man who has a child is called a father, and the woman who has a child is called a mother. And so here we see her redefined from prostitute to bride. You kidding me? From prostitute to bride. Think about it. From lonely and searching to settled and belonging. Redefined. You, you, think about her life as a prostitute each day, what that was like. Now here she is in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Salmon is her husband, and they're having a child together. She's got a family. I can see her, Brother Joey, cooking supper, you know. I can see him. She's not lonely anymore. She's not searching. She's not hurting. Nobody's using her up anymore. Nobody's taking advantage of her anymore. She's got a husband and a home. I'm telling you, I'm telling you this evening that there is a God, there is a Savior who can redefine who you are in every way, shape, form, and fashion. From prostitute to bride, from lonely and searching to settling and belonging. She had a family, y'all, and from used to loved, right? From useless to useful. What good was she in Jericho selling herself for money? I'll tell you, nothing. But what good was she when she put her faith in the God of the Bible? She was useful to bring David. But wait, wait, not just David, but to bring the Word become flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. My goodness, I'm telling you tonight, God can redefine those people who have a past, and we all do, from disgrace to the hall of faith. Let me give you a verse, Hebrews 11. Verse 30 and 31. Y'all ready to land the plane? Y'all with me? By faith, you're reading with me? Hebrews 11, 30 and 31 is on the overhead. Read with me. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. I see Hebrews is writing, it's, it's still, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11 is referred to often as the hall of faith. Why? Because it talks about by faith, this person did this. By faith, this guy did that. By faith, this lady did that. And so it talks about faith's action, what faith produces, okay? And as that's unfolding, here's what we find in verse 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fall, fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Isn't that crazy? By faith, the harlot Rahab, listen, did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. We see her, a very limited list of heroes of the faith. Now, remember, they're not the heroes, but because they had faith, God did great things through them. But not all their names are mentioned. I'm telling you, the whole Old Testament is full of people who God used to do unimaginable things. But we have Rahab's name recorded. You see, he'd redefined her life. Uh, she was no longer useless. She was useful. Uh, she was no longer faithless, but faithful. And by faith, uh, she was saved. And that's the point of this whole message. By faith, we're saved. And I want to just conclude by saying this. Just like God rolled away the reproach of Israel at Gilgal as the people identified with him, remember, the Passover, the circumcision, that same way, that same way he'll change our reputation when you and I come to him by the way that he is prescribed, and the way has a name, and his name is Jesus. There is no other way. Paul said that I do not want to, I, there's no way in which I can know God in my own righteousness, but instead righteousness that comes by faith in the Son of God. And so tonight, I just want you to consider 
this wonderful truth and how it applies to your life and how you'll take it out of these walls and how you'll share it with those around you and how you may be here tonight and God has brought you here for the sole purpose of letting you know that wherever you've been, whatever you've done, he's a master at rescuing people from a jaded past. And so tonight, if you'll let him, now listen to me, let me just say this to you, ready? He's a gentleman. He said, what do you mean, preacher? Well, in the book of Revelation, the scripture says, and it's really a reference of Jesus trying to get back in the church. But he says, behold, y'all don't pack up on me now because you're distracting folk around you. Okay, stay with me. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And then he goes on to say, and he's talking about the church. Now, that's an indictment, isn't it? And he says, if any man will let me in. Now, it gets singular. If any man lets me in, I and the Father will come in. And in the old King James, how I had it memorized years ago, I will sup with him. Uh, What does that mean? That means to eat supper. It means to eat a meal. It means to have a fellowship meal. It means to break bread. It means to fellowship together. Here's what he's saying. I will come and live with him. I will come and live with her. But notice what he said. I'll knock, but I won't kick in the door. You see, he could. You realize he could force us to do anything he wanted us to do. But because he's a gentleman, because he created you, listen, in his image, you have something called a free will, just like he does. And because of that, God won't violate your free will and kick the door in and make you bow down to him. But he'll stand at the door and knock. And quite possibly tonight, here he is knocking at the door. And he's saying to you, if you'll just let me in, I'll rescue you from that past. You say, well, it was this week. That's right, past tense. And I'll rescue you. Not only will I rescue that for you from that, I'll give you purpose. I'll use you. I'll use you for something that will outlive your few years here on the earth. I'll use you for something that will fully glorify my name, and people will be amazed by it. And not only does God say that, but as I knock at the door, if you will let me in, I will redefine you. You'll no longer be identified by your struggle, but you'll be identified by the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. He's the high king of heaven, and he desires to be yours, your king. And tonight he will if you'll let him. So let's just take a moment and bow our heads together. Will you do that? Will you bow your head with me and close your eyes just for a moment? And as you do that, now so you may be asking yourself the question, why are we bowing our head and closing our eyes? Well, we close our eyes to avoid the distractions of things going on all around us. We just want to be still and listen for God. So if you can just sort of settle in for a moment, and I'm going to ask you not to get up and swing them doors. hinges back there, we have to oil them all the time. They all wear them things out. If we could just leave the doors shut for a minute, and if you could just sit still for just a few more minutes, and you ought to be right now anticipating a great move of God. And so as you're seated there, and maybe it is that the Spirit of God is dealing with you as a son, a daughter, he's saying to you, hey, I want to remind you that your past is forgiven. Somebody, he brought you here tonight just to say to you, hey, listen, you've not been letting me use you like I want to use you because you think your past limits how you can be used, and you're wrong. Some of us tonight, shame and regret of some failures that we've done in the past have just held us hostage. And God brought us here tonight to remind us that the key to rescue is faith. You have to trust that he says, I'll cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. So tonight, listen for his voice. Maybe he's whispering to you, you are forgiven. Oh, my goodness. What a healing, empowering word. You are forgiven. And if, in fact, you're in Jesus, and if, in fact, you've confessed it to him, not to another person, but to him, you are, in fact, forgiven. 
Or maybe he's brought you here tonight to say to you, there's only one way to know me, and that is through my son Jesus, the God-man, the God who became man, to come down so that he could show us what God is like, to experience what we're like, and to die. To die a criminal's death so that you and I could be forgiven. See, we've not been dealt with according to our sin. Jesus was. And tonight, if you'll believe, if you'll put your trust and hope in Jesus, his death and resurrection, the person of him, the son of God, the work of him, death on the cross, he'll save you. And he'll save you right now. Is he knocking at the door of your heart? Would you be willing tonight to let him in? Somebody just needs to grab a hold of that door handle and say to him, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. You could do it right now in this moment. Wherever you find yourself, just you and him, you could call out to him, Lord Jesus, come in. Come in. I know that you've been knocking. I know that you've been stirring. I know that you've been after me. Come in. Come in. Love me. Heal me. Save me. Forgive me. He'll do it. I testify. He'll do it. So, Father, I pray tonight in Jesus' name, if there's one among us who doesn't know you, that they've come to faith in Jesus tonight. I pray there'd be some brothers and sisters may come to the altar and just begin to pray. They just began to pray. I feel the Spirit stirring so strong tonight. God, I pray that people just come and begin to pray and ask you to save. And I just believe there's some folk in here tonight that need to get right with you, and there's only one way, and his name is Jesus. Thank you all for getting that. Would you just, would you just pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, bind Satan from that person, those people who right now are just really, really close to finally opening the door and inviting Jesus in. Would you pray that right now? God, bind the enemy. He's trying to lie to them. He's trying to talk them out of it. Would you pray that, pray that, pray that God would bind the strong man, bind Satan, would you pray that God would take the blinders off of their eyes? See, we're blinded to the truth unless God takes the blinder. Would you pray that specifically? Now, if you're out there and right now the urge of the Spirit is so strong, good news is you don't have to come down the aisle to do that. You can deal, do business with God right where you're seated. You may be driving down the road tonight. You may be in the captain's room. You may be on that offshore oil rig. You may be in the patrol car or in the ambulance in that parking lot sitting there waiting for another call. And right now there's a call coming to you, and it's a call from heaven. And the call is saying, just open the door and let me in. And I beg you today, don't go one more breath without inviting Jesus to be Lord. I wish I could tell you how good it feels to be forgiven. So, Father, I pray you take this time of response. And, Lord, whatever we need to do, each one of us, individually, we would do it. That maybe tonight someone would come and say, tonight I need to give my life to Jesus. Or someone would stand and come to the altar and tell me or, or Gerald one, tonight I gave my life to Jesus. Or maybe someone just needs to come and say, tonight the message was for me. I've forgotten that he really does forgive and rescue so, Lord, have your way, I pray. Take this time of response and do whatever you want to do. In the precious, the life-giving name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Would you stand with me?